This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode 203 for Wednesday, February 25th, 2015. Very good, it is, and it's our feedback show for the most recent episode of the program, which was called The Distance. Now it's going through my head again. Damn it! <laughs> Go in Every the distance. Every time, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's going to be there for the rest of the week until it's that song is replaced by something else in your head. What's next week's episode called? Um, that's a good question. It is called Remember. Nope, got nothing. I'm gonna keep with uh, going the distance. I'll um I'll find a song called "Remember" for you and send it over. How about okay. that? Sure. <laughs> uh, and next week is directed by Greg Nicotero again, so he's oh, doing good. he's doing lots of directing this week. Um, and that reminds me too. Now that I'm looking at these, the distance was directed by Larissa Kondraki or Kondratsky, and I think I said before the season came back for uh, second half of season five that that was one of the directors I was interested in seeing her episode for because she's from Toronto. Oh. Um, and she's done a few other films and stuff like that. I forgot while we were watching it, and it didn't, um, the directing or anything didn't really stand out to me, I don't think. So, I mean, I guess she did a, a, an adequate job, but nothing spectacular. <laughs> oh. Well, I thought she did a good job. And I, I think it's pronounced Dothraki, isn't it? Larissa Dothraki. Yeah, she she's Dothraki. Well, if it you know it starts with a K, but what are you gonna do if if I ever uh, you know if I knew her in real life, I'd definitely call her Dothraki. Yeah, you'd make fun of her to her face, of course. So that that's good. Unlike making fun of her anonymously on the internet. Yeah, so yeah, that's just lame. You know, if we had the opportunity to do it to her face, you'd do it. I wouldn't. I'd I'd probably call her by her real name. You would. But here anonymously on the internet, Dothraki's fine. All right. Very good. Um, so let's uh, play an entry in our Record a Favorite Scene contest. How about? Outstanding. Here we go. When I met with the governor, he offered me a deal. He said, he said he would leave us alone if we gave him a show. I was going to do that. To keep us safe. I changed my mind. Now Merle took Michonne to a field of the deal and Daryl went to stop him and I don't know if it's too late. I was wrong not to tell you. And I'm sorry. What I said last year... That first night after the farm, it can't be like that again. What do we do, what we're willing to do, who we are, it's not my call. It can't be. I can't sacrifice one of us for the greater good because because we are the greater good. We're the reason we're still here, not me. This is life and death. How you live, how you die, it isn't up to me. Not your governor. We choose to go. We choose to stay. We stick together. We vote. We can stay and we can fight. We can go. All right, that was Justin from the internet. Thank you, Justin. And if you recall, that was Rick way back in season three, I think, ending his rictatorship. Right. Saying that now we vote. We're all in this together. And, uh, you know, it's not just me calling the shots anymore. Well, that was really good. Thank you. The other thing about that scene I realized is at the time and for a while after that, I thought that that speech by Rick was the TV show's version of the We Are the Walking Dead moment from the comic. At the time, it probably was. Oh, well, you may be right. I don't know. At the time, maybe that's what they were thinking. But, new, you know, two showrunners later... And we've now had an actual We Are the Walking Dead moment. So, um, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe it was at the time, I guess. Uh, but it, good nonetheless, and uh, sounds really good coming out of Jason's face, uh, Justin's face. Today. <laughs> out of his mouth hole. Out of his mouth hole. <laughs> All right, next on the list is the ratings for The Distance, Going the Distance. Going the Distance. Are you reluctantly crouched at the starting line? Uh, no. Is Why your, would I? Is I would your not engine, reluctant at all. Is your engine thumping and 
bumping in time or what's what's the lyric i forget the next <laughs> I don't one no you, you've gone weird on me here <laughs> no 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 that was the first two lines of the song for anyone who's wondering in case in case it's not obvious i don't know i think it probably is but it probably isn't there's a song by a band called cake uh sorry there's a song by a band called cake called the distance yes it's and a very good song you should go look it up it's on youtube it's a fun song yes of course and uh Jason can't get it out of his head. It's stuck, been stuck in my head for like a week. Reluctantly crouched at the starting line. It's a good. It starts funny. I like that. Anyways, the distance: thirteen point four four million viewers. Ooh, down a bit still. But we had the uh, the Academy Awards up against it. But up from the previous week. Right. So, so they got a little bit of a bump. What was the previous week again? What was on against it? Uh, the the Saturday Night Live fortieth anniversary. Oh, yes. Yeah. And and that was twelve point two seven million for The Walking Dead the previous week so we're back up i mean we're not up to like the 14 15 16 range where the sort of best episodes get to but it it turned around i mean the academy awards are i I gotta think a pretty good draw what did we say there was 36 million people watching them so so i think the distance on sunday did pretty well considering considering yeah absolutely because uh a lot of the networks will put on uh you know, basically filler. They'll they'll throw something on to go up against the Oscars, but uh, it's really not expected that they'll make a lot of money. I don't think. No, not really. And um, uh, I forget. Oh, it, The Walking Dead still won the night for um for dra- dramatic television or cable shows. Anyway, right? Yeah, because the, the the Academy Awards is not a dramatic show. Well, it's full of drama, but it's not. It's uh... not full of drama. It's full of comedy <laughs> that about drama. That's true. <laughs> um, and uh, in second place is AMC's Talking Dead show, so they're doing okay right. over there, too. Yeah. I have a question about the Oscars. Okay. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris had uh, put his predictions in a locked box on the stage, uh, and I don't know how he did. Do you know how he did? No, I saw the setup for that joke or the setup for that bit, but I didn't see the payoff because I watched Walking Dead later that night. And uh, Yeah. Did you Google it? Nope. Uh, me neither. Anyway, I have no idea how he did. I went to bed. I think there was, yeah, I mean, I don't know how he did. I don't know. I think there was some sort of joke or bit involved in, in it, but I'm not sure. He probably got them all right. Probably. You know? I He's know. Neil Patrick Harris. How could he not get them all right? That man is a god. Yeah. Okay. Um. Real quick. If you want to support us on Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash the talking dead. You can go over there and make a quick monthly pledge to uh, put some some of your hard-earned cash towards helping us put on this show. We super appreciate everyone that does that. You can also use our Amazon links. Go to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon, talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon, and click on the country that works best for you, and then... Uh, you a small you know portion of everything you buy at Amazon comes back to us, not a small portion of what you buy, but you know what I mean. <laughs> That's right. See, if you buy a sweater, we'll get like uh, well, you know part of the sleeve, a cuff, just a cuff, yeah, just a little cuff or something. You know, you know, if you order an Xbox 360, we'll get a cable. Mm-hmm. You know, just a little you know piece of cable, a little bit of the power cable, that kind of thing. That's right. That's you know, if really... you buy a TV, we'll get like 14 pixels. They'll That's just right. send us some pixels. <laughs> That's all we it's need. Good. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right. Uh, thanks to everyone that helps out put uh, helps us put on the podcast here. It is wonderful of you. All right, and with that, we're going to get into the main show here, and that is, of course, the feedback. Listener feedback. Our first feedback item of feedback, I guess, comes is a phone call from Don in Illinois. Hey, Jason and Chris, this is Don from Illinois. I wanted to. Um, send you a message on a couple things that you brought up in recent episodes. First of all, I think one of you mentioned that how could they have steel panels in Alexandria or steel walls in Alexandria? And uh, someone mentioned shipyards and, yeah, the uh, Annapolis uh, Naval Academy is somewhere nearby there. I think it's in Maryland, which can't be that far really from Alexandria, right? Um, So maybe that's how they're getting steel panels um, the other thing you brought up was uh, pork chops and applesauce. I think a long time ago um, I heard an episode where one of you indicated you'd never seen the Brady Bunch. So I suggest you go to YouTube and search on Brady Bunch pork chops and applesauce, and you'll uh, you'll see why I wanted you to look at that. And uh, the last thing is I listened to your podcast while running, 
and uh, found your uh, your comments pretty entertaining about uh, sports lube. Um, so I suggest you look up another product called Nip Guards, and maybe that's something you can uh, both try on the show sometime in the spirit of uh, Goo Goo Clusters and uh, Cheese Whiz. Anyway, I love the podcast. Thank you very much, and take care. Bye. Thank you very much, Don. Nip Guards. Yes. All right. Is that I'll something? Try, I'll try Nip Guards for a day. <laughs> So you're not just so this is a whole day commitment you're making. Here. Well, you don't just put them on and go here. Let's just put them like I assume that there's some kind of pad for uh, putting on your nipples so that your shirt doesn't chafe. I, you know, I'm just making that assumption, and I'm assuming that you put you don't just put them on and then rip them off because that's fun. I th- I think you have to put them on and try them for a while. All so right, I think it's it's a, I think it's a day long commitment. Okay, at least I think. Um, so we'll we'll find some nip guards and we'll try them out. That'll be, you know, we've we've done taste tests three times on this show, but we've never done nipple tests. Not a single one. No, not that not that you know of, anyways. Right, and you've uh, and are you the one that's not seen the Brady Bunch? Because I've seen the Brady Bunch a bunch. It, it must be me that hasn't seen the Brady Bunch at all, because I mean I know of it and I. I've never sat down to watch an episode, though I I didn't watch a lot of TV as as a younger kid, as a kid. Right. Well, you should watch the Brady Bunch because I remember the pork chops and applesauce scene that uh, he's referencing in the Brady Bunch. Okay. I, I do remember that. Um. Yeah. I I just remember it from my childhood. My mom would make pork chops and say, "Put applesauce on that. It's good for you." Well, you're darn right. <laughs> And I've always wondered, uh, Carol Brady, the mother. Uh, you see, it was two families. It was Carol and. Uh, whatever the husband's name is, Mike, they got married and mm-hmm. he had three boys, she had three girls. What happened to her husband, like her previous husband? I have no idea. They've never mentioned it. I'm pretty sure that Carol Brady murdered him. Whoa, that's dark, man. I, I'm pretty sure. What, anyway. ab- what about his ex-wife? I think she died. Oh, okay. But they, I think they may have mentioned that, but I think uh, Carol Brady, they just kind of skirted over that. It's because it was, uh, you know, it was 70s television or 60s or when was the Brady Bunch? Anyway, I don't think they could mention divorce, so I think they just kind of left it out of the show entirely. Uh, Therefore, I choose to believe that she murdered her her late husband. That's crazy town, man. But I guess it made for an interesting backstory. In my mind, it did. Yeah. Next. <laughs> right. Sorry, I, I looked up Brady Bunch on Wikipedia. Next, we have a call from Charlie in Franklin, Massachusetts. Hi, guys. This is Charlie from Franklin, Massachusetts. I just had to stop the podcast at the one hour and nine minute mark to say, holy heck, Chris, are you kidding me? Didn't like this episode? I think you might have completely missed what this episode was about, in my opinion. And for me, this was homage. This was just classic paying tribute to the classics. The music. Did you not hear the music? It's all like an old John Carpenter soundtrack with all those cheesy old synth pulsations and everything. The car not starting. It was all textbook homage, just paying tribute to great classic horror and then weaving that through the Walking Dead universe. I thought it was pitch perfect. Couldn't disagree with you more, but hey, it's a big tent. We all get to be here together. Thanks, guys. Great podcast. Keep it up. Thank you, Charlie. I like the tent analogy, first of all. It's a big tent. We all have to, you know, be in it together. That's right. Charlie's right. You're an idiot for not liking it. I, I, look, I actually I actually <laughs> I'm kidding. Did. Charlie didn't say that. I actually did more or less like the episode. It's. I think all I said was, of the three that we've seen since the show came back, it was my least favorite, which right. isn't doesn't mean I didn't like it. But the problem is some of the things that Charlie listed off are some of the things that I was not a big fan of. I guess, you know, and when he said textbook homage, I think that might be the problem. I'm like, I don't want textbook homage. I want, I don't know, I want something a little different in my homage, maybe. Maybe. And um, that was, those were some of the scenes I had the problems with, like the car not starting and stuff like that. I will agree with him that the music was fantastic. And in fact, there's an email later on in the list here about Bear McCreary's score in this episode. So, um, I, look, I think there was lots of stuff to like in this episode, but unfortunately for me, there was three or four things that I felt like didn't work very well. And I don't mean to focus on them, but it took the episode down one notch in my mind. Okay. And that's that. Well, 
I think you're a nice guy, no matter what Charlie says. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, all right, Angie in Birmingham uh, sent in a long email, but I cut it up uh, for a little bit of clarity here. Sorry, Angie. Hopefully, I didn't uh, you know change your entire point or something. But she says, "Hi, guys. Sorry, Chris. I'm with Jason. This was the best episode since episode three of this season. Regarding Abraham, you said that conversation. You said that conversation seemed disjointed." Remember his backstory. His wife and kids left him, which led to their death, because they were afraid of him. He doesn't want Rosita to be afraid of him. It would probably kill him, metaphorically, if not physically. This is a conversation he's obviously wanted to have for a while. So, another listener who's totally on Team Jason. Well, that's good. It's a nice place to be. I tell you. All right, next uh, we have a what I think is a similar uh, topic from Paul in Bakersfield. When it comes to Rosita and Abraham in the RV, I think Abraham had been trying to talk to Rosita, but that he, uh, but she had been avoiding him. Abraham brought up Rex, and I think Rosita actually responded. So Abraham used the opportunity to ask her something he was worried about. Abraham has been worried that he had pushed away Rosita, like he had done with his wife and kids, and now uh, that there was no mission. Uh, that she is all he had. Yeah, and and I, I can see that. It's it's not so much the the fact that they had this conversation and that Abraham is having these feelings and so on. It was just the way it was staged in the episode. It seemed a little shoehorned in, did it? it? To me, it felt shoehorned in. Exactly. It didn't. It was it it was positioned weird in the episode, and it was um, it felt like it was maybe. Uh, a scene that was cut or included from a longer scene where most of it was cut out. Right. And 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 it didn't work for me. I was thinking about it a bit, and I mean, I don't know what's going to happen when they get into Alexandria, but let's just say that they go in there and, you know, everything actually is friendly and nice and they move into houses um, instead of, you know, it being some horrible, like, torture zone or something like that, which probably is what's going to happen. This is The Walking Dead after all. But I was thinking if they got there and it was all nice and they moved in together and then Abraham and Rosita got a house and they moved in and they're sitting on their couch that evening and suddenly the tension is just draining away from them because they're somewhere safe, maybe that's when they have this conversation. And he says, you know what, I was a dick back there and and I don't want you to be afraid of me. And they could have talked it out instead of when they were clearing an RV, you know, in the middle of an operation. So, right. That's all. That's true. It did. Uh, I I would agree with that. And it, uh, I think the same kind of thing with the the conversation between Michonne and Rick uh, about you have to put down uh, the mm-hmm. mantle of uh, fear and anger is, is a little too early for that. I think that could have happened in Alexandria as well. Totally, totally. I don't feel that that conversation was shoehorned in. But you're right. It maybe just wasn't quite in the right place. It's in the wrong episode. Right, right conversation. Wrong episode. Got it. Okay, uh, Andy in England writes, Did you see the staggering lack of sexual chemistry between Abraham and Rosita? Again. Can't believe they're still going with the storyline that they are somehow a couple. Even in the zombie apocalypse, I just can't see it happening. You know, relationships are complex in the zombie apocalypse. They're complex in the regular world. Yeah, that's true. But they were when you know when they were walking on the line uh, down the road there, uh, they were as far apart as you can get, really. Yeah, they weren't next to each other. Maybe they, uh, maybe they have to. Maybe they uh, they've agreed that uh, you know, unless it's uh, it's dark out and uh, we have some uh, you know sexy time that we can uh, we can have here. We gotta you know we gotta keep our eye on the prize. We gotta keep our head on a swivel. You stay away from me because if you're anywhere near me, I'm gonna grab you and throw you in the bush. <laughs> but Eugene won't be there to watch. Or at that moment. Oh, maybe that's the problem. Yeah. Maybe they need Eugene for the uh, the pee-pee Tommy thing. That's right. Maybe that's what gets their motor running, if you know what I mean. Maybe they just maybe they don't actually like each other. They're just exhibitionists. <laughs> they're just doing it for Eugene. They're just they're just trying to keep him happy. What a fucked up relationship that is, the three of them. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> All right. So next we have an email from Michael in London. Are they purposefully trying to make Rick unlikable? Seems that in this episode, especially in the barn scenes, uh, when they arrive at the supply place, that Rick is being more awkward than anything else. In the past, he made pretty hard decisions, but you saw the reasons for it. Now, he seems to be doing things just to spite people, 
Why punch an unarmed Aaron in the face? Why go down the other highway? Uh, why not let him sleep with his lover in the other room? The character of Rick is great, and Andrew Lincoln's portrayal is excellent, but poor writing this week really made him unlikable. Yeah, and, you know, I'll, uh, I, I'll agree with that. It, it kind of bothered me how distrustful Rick was uh, towards Aaron. Yeah. You know, and this, this, this kind of thing, putting it this way, uh, Michael uh, reminds me of uh, that, um, that skit that John Cleese was done in the Flying Circus where he's just, they're just contrary for fighting for the sake of argument's sake. I don't remember seeing that. Oh, it's just everything somebody said, he was just saying the opposite. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. <laughs> it sounds pretty funny, actually, but I don't remember that one. Oh, you should go check it out. I forget the name of it or anything about it, but it just reminded me of uh, good times. Well, in a similar on a similar topic, Emily from New Zealand writes in, is it just me, or do you think that maybe Rick might not be the best leader? I feel like, though he is trying his best to protect Carl and Judith, he's not making the right decisions for the group. In the previous episode, with all the water in the middle of the road, would he really rather have had his children die of thirst than take a chance? I really noticed how annoying, I guess, Rick was in the episode we've just seen. It was so slow because he kept doubting everything and generally not being very helpful. So I was wondering who you thought would be the best leader after Rick. I think Abraham would be great, or maybe a Glenn-Maggie combo. Right. You know, um, I don't know. All of these characters seem to have their their uh, pros and cons when you think about who could lead them. Well, Daryl's not much of a leader. He's more of a loner type. Mm-hmm. He's always going off by himself and is contrary to the group. You know, he, he gets along and he goes along to get along and uh, he does everything, but I don't think he's a leader type. He's a very uh, he's a very right-hand man kind of guy, and that's the role he plays to Rick. You know, he backs him up. He's there when he needs him. He stands to his side and he's sort of his first officer, but he's not, he's not leader material, I don't think. Michonne? Well, that's the one that I could think of, that maybe Michonne could do it, but she's always been so quiet and... and uh, She's kept to herself so much until recently, to be fair. She's opened up a little bit more. Um, so maybe now she's developing into kind of a group leader personality. But I don't think before she was quite ready for it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Glenn, Maggie? I don't know. I, no, I'm not sure about Glenn and Maggie. I, I'm not sure I can see that either. Abraham, I mean, we've talked about. He... You'd think he would be in a position to be a leader, but he's very single-minded and single-focused. And is that what you want in a leader, or do you want a leader who who will, you know, consider other people's opinions? I don't know. I don't think there's any good leader in this group, honestly. <laughs> They've probably got the one who's, you know, the guy who's the best, and that's Rick already. They're more of a collective. Really, they should have uh, they should have meetings and then take minutes and you know vote on things and uh, abstain if you really don't care and yeah I think I think they should uh, incorporate their group and uh, you know elect a board of trustees uh-huh. to have steering committees. Well, going back to Justin's entry in the contest, I mean that was all about Rick ending the dictatorship, remember, and yep. saying we're going to vote on stuff, we're in this together, we're doing this as a team. I don't know if I've really seen that over the last couple of seasons you know they don't i mean they talk things out i guess it would be silly if we always saw them on screen voting (laughs) raise your hand if you want to take the road on the left or you know whatever so i i think they should uh they should form a uh, board of directors to uh to elect a steering committee to discuss and vote on uh on on issues it works works for me maybe that's the first thing they'll do when they move into alexandria yeah I, i i assume so Sure. All right. Next, we have a call from Paul in Rochester, New York. Hey, guys. It's uh, Paul in Rochester, New York. Um, I haven't heard anybody comment about this episode about what a bunch of dickheads Rick and his group turned out to be. (laughs) If you think of it from Aaron's perspective, he studies this group. He makes a decision that they're right. They're recruitable. He goes into that barn. He tries to convince them that he's trustworthy. And I get it that he probably knows it's going to be a little bit of work, but, like, dude, eventually, wouldn't you just be like, screw this? 
these guys are not who I thought they were. I'm out of here. These guys are a bunch of dicks, especially this Rick guy who I thought was nice. But everybody seems to be giving them a Pasadena on this. I don't understand. Anyway, I don't know. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. So, Thanks, Paul. The way I, I assume that uh, it goes is if you get more than five people together in a room, they're pretty much dumber than a sack of doorknobs. That's pretty dumb. Yeah. So the more people you get, the dumber the group is. <laughs> you're only as smart as your dumbest person. Is that what you're saying? No, you're way dumber than your dumbest person uh, in a group. Okay. Well, yeah, you get larger groups are just dumb. I can. That's why you need to break off into a board of directors and steering committees because they get to get the group smaller and smaller and smaller till eventually uh, a couple of people go, "Hey, you want to go this way?" Another guy goes, "Yeah, let's go that way." And then all of a sudden, everybody's going that way. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's mob mentality. It's you get more people together in a mob and the mob just gets stupider and stupider. Yeah. And very angry. Usually very angry with pitchforks and so on. Um, but I, I see Paul's point. I mean, Aaron comes in, he's all nice and he's friendly. He's saying, you know, I know you're going to have a hard time trusting me, but did you really have to punch me in the face? Like so hard. So um, he didn't seem to care that much about being punched in the face. He's like, yeah, I can see that. I'm sure it, didn't make him happy though, as uh, you know. So, it's. I think at a certain point, Paul or uh, Paul was saying that Aaron would just be like, "Ah, oh, forget these people. I tried, but they're obviously a bunch of dicks." <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what the episode should have been called. Then, then you wouldn't have any song running through your head. The sack of dill holes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Next email is from Catherine in Houston, and she says. You spent some time on your last podcast talking about how Aaron and Eric were the first gay characters on The Walking Dead. Tara is gay and has been on the show since last season. When she and her sister were living with the governor, she even has a girlfriend. Had. Had. Sorry. Yeah, not Well, I mean, has, but I assume she's dead. Did she die? Yep. Uh, She did. Um, But thank you for pointing that out, Catherine. We had a few people... Uh, send in emails about on that topic. I think what happened last time is we got so focused on uh, that emailer's use of the word Eskimo, <laughs> right? That we we glossed right over the fact that uh, in fact there have been other gay characters on this show already. So apologies for that, and you're absolutely right. Well, maybe Terrell will find love in Alexandria. Maybe she will. I don't see why not. Let's hope. I do. All right, so the next couple of emails kind of go together. Uh, but first we have Matthew in Utica, New York. I had a comment on the scene where Rick and Aaron were talking about the applesauce. I think that I picked well, I think that I picked up on was that he is telling Rick that he was forced to eat those things by his mother to make him more manly. You had talked about how you thought that could have been left out, but I think it was kind of a setup for the fact that he is gay. And Chantel in Brisbane, Australia, I think the community at Alexandria, is a gay men community and needs breeders. (laughs) Hmm. When Aaron was talking about his misguided mother making him eat stuff he didn't like to toughen him up, I immediately thought he was gay. And when he said the people were the most important thing, my mind immediately went to puppy mill type scenarios. Wow. That's a a jump, I, I think. I didn't Think. So you follow this group around and you go, okay, we got at least a couple of breeders in that group. Mm-hmm. So we got to bring them in to, and a baby. Oh my God, a baby. Mm-hmm. He's already a baby. So that's good, right? If they're looking. We got applesauce. You got a baby. You know, we're match made in heaven. If they are looking to, well, create babies, they're bringing one in, which is good. And they're bringing, yeah, at least a couple of, of um, childbearing age women. Well, breeders, heterosexuals. That's true, breeders. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, I guess so. I, that, you're, that implies that, that gay people can't create children, which they can if they really- Well, they can, just- Really want to. Yeah. I, I, I guess. We should stop talking about this now before we get angry emails. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, who's next? All right, what's next? All right, we got James in Pit. pit uh, James in Pittsburgh. After two solid episodes in the second half, we get the following. A car somehow doesn't have windshield wipers. The car won't start trope. Zombie herd appears out of nowhere trope. Aaron believing the best way to earn Crazy Rick's trust is giving him a sob story about his cruel mom and her applesauce obsession. And finally, a disappointing episode that reeks of filler. Here's hoping for something better. Uh, Something better is on its way. 
So see, not everyone loved this episode. Some somebody's somebody's with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, James. Yeah, James not is just somebody, but James specifically. James is. Um, yeah, I mean that was that was it. Zombie herd appears out of nowhere. I. I didn't even mind that because it was kind of fun to watch them plow through the zombies and all that. But, you know, you go down a road far enough, you're going to run into a group of people. In the zombie apocalypse, if you drive down a road for a while, uh, you're going to run into a group of zombies. And Aaron warned them that's not a good idea. He probably knew there was a a small herd or something down there. Mm -hmm. And he figured that that's a bad idea. There's a herd on that road. We cleared this other road of the herd. And now it's over there, but you're going to go over there. So he probably knew about it. Yeah. And so, I mean, when you think of it like that, I mean, it's it's barely a trope, really. They didn't really appear out of nowhere, right? No. So they were there. Um, it was the car that appeared out of nowhere. This zombie herd is kind of, you know, meandering along, minding its own business, you know, walking. Everybody's evenly spaced. It's a nice day, night for a walk down the road. All of a sudden, this car comes plowing through them and taking, tearing off their arms and shoving it in the engine. You know, those zombies are probably surprised out of hell. They probably were and be like, oh my God, where's my arm? <laughs> what just happened? Stuck in that car. Car came out of nowhere. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> All right, Brooke in Portland, Oregon writes, The Distance felt like a filler episode to me, although it had a lot of interesting character points in it that helped wrap up the end of the first half. I came out of it with some questions. Did anyone else hear Noah tell Aaron why he had a limp? I remember wondering out loud about why he was lying about the story of the limp. As I recall, it was from him falling down the elevator shaft in his and Beth's botched escape attempt from the hospital. Is that accurate? And if so, what's Noah's motivation here? So that is accurate. He hurt his leg or his ankle when they jumped down the elevator shaft or when he fell down. And he's kind of been limping ever since. And I went back and I checked the uh, dialogue in that scene in the back of the RV. And Noah's story that he gave Aaron was, um, he said, Dad and me, car accident, rotters in the road, probably lucky I can even walk. Huh. So maybe he re-injured it falling down the elevator shaft. Uh, oh, maybe that happens to me all the time. I got, I have bad knees, and if something bad happens, uh, my like generally I can walk and everything is okay. But if uh, if something crazy happens, like I go skiing or fall down the stairs, uh, it injures my already existingly bad knees, and it uh, and I can't walk. Yeah, no, that's a good theory. I mean, maybe he had an existing injury, and he re-aggravated it when he fell onto the that pile of zombies at the bottom of the elevator shaft. Um, I hadn't really thought of that, but, I mean, if that's not the case, why would he not tell um, Aaron that... Well, I mean, maybe it just sounds too crazy. I was in a hospital. I met a girl I liked, and we tried to escape, and we fell down an elevator shaft, but I survived. And then That we... sounds like a soap opera <laughs> is the problem. And then we ran out, and, you know, they were shooting at us. She went down, but I got away, and here I am. And then we went back to get her, and she got shot in the head by accident. Oh, maybe that's and just... And then this one time at band camp? Yeah, maybe that's too much of a story. I don't know. Yeah, and it sounds like a soap opera when you fall down an elevator shaft in a hospital. And survive. And survived, but, uh, you know, I had to have a brain transplant uh, into somebody else's body. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, that's just the beginning of the story. (laughs) (laughs) That was day one. Yeah. All right, next we have uh, an email from Eric in, oh, okay, Pyeongtaek, South Korea? Sure, Pyeongtaek. Pyeongtaek? I don't know. Pyeongtaek. I don't know. Uh, I had a problem with the way they are walking down the road. I also had a problem with the way they were walking down the road. To answer your question about walking in a line, there are lots of reasons why it's not a good idea. A single file line with everybody spaced out prevents one grenade or claymore or mine that might trigger the start of an ambush from taking out too many people in one go. It also allows everybody in the line to return fire without having to shoot past their own guys. But the thing that bothered me the most was that they were walking down the road at all. Roads are what we consider linear danger areas. If an ambush or attack was going to happen, chances are it would happen on the road. Ideally, they should have followed the road from about 100 meters or so into the woods. That keeps you out of sight and you actually have a chance of ambushing the ambush if there was one. 
There you go. I have a, a quick bonus email here to throw in that came in just before we were going to start recording from Ken in Sacramento. Now, he sent in a, uh, a longer email, and he explained the difference between a line formation and a column formation, basically walking in a, in a single-file line versus walking side-by-side side down the road. Right. And that was kind of interesting, but he finished with this. He said... What we saw in this last episode is what soldiers might refer to as either a gaggle or a clusterfuck. <laughs> uh. Everybody was bunched up way too close to one another and looking in the same direction. One bad guy with a hand grenade or a decent rapid fire weapon could have killed the entire group before anyone could react. Clusterfuck, eh? Pretty much. Pretty much. That's why they have formations. So. You know, right. there are benefits to those formations, as uh, um, Eric described. So, you know, don't go so in the, a group. The, the Three Stooges had it right, spread out. Pretty Remember when Mo used to slap the two of them, and uh, Curly and Larry, yeah. and say spread out? That's what they. What's that's what you, you need. Don't gaggle up or don't clump up. Spread out. That way one uh, thing won't take out everybody. I'm not sure if the Three Stooges were afraid of grenades, but maybe they were. I don't know. Well, it was post-war, so... Maybe tomatoes. <laughs> no, they got hit with way more than tomatoes. There was knives and swords and sledgehammers and trucks and cars. They got hit with all kinds of stuff. The Stooges? Oh, yeah. Okay. I guess. Well, they used to hit each other with hammers, for crying out loud. Hit each other, sure. Yeah. But... Yeah. All right. Uh, next email is Joel in Gilbert, Arizona. He says, I don't think Michonne's desire to hear out Aaron was an inconsistency in character. If this new stranger had rolled up with someone like Merle and was looking like he was killing helicopter pilots, I bet she would have been just as hesitant to trust Aaron. Or if they had thrown her in the back of a truck blindfolded, you may have seen a different side of Michonne. But in fact, he came peacefully and offered hope, which is something she has been searching for. I think her reaction is on point and uh, what we would expect for Michonne at this point. You know, you kind of look like you've been killing helicopter pilots. <laughs> I don't think I will be going anywhere with you. I don't trust you. You just have that look about you. Yeah. it's I, And Joel makes a really good point. I mean, her and Andrea went to examine that crashed helicopter. They yeah. saw the governor's crew roll up, kill the helicopter pilot, um, you know, kill people. And then... Merle snuck up behind them, they blindfolded them, they threw them in a truck, drove them. I mean, it wasn't a very good introduction, even though yeah. once they got to Woodbury, you know, the governor seemed kind of all friendly-friendly at first. Hey, welcome. Good news. You're here. You're here. We had to blindfold you, but you know, that's because we don't want anyone to know where we are. Wrong. We're beating you for security reasons. It's for your own good. That's right. So Michonne is not an untrustworthy person. She just knows when to trust and when not to. And when a guy in a nice clean shirt and well-spoken, you know, rolls up, um, then that's okay. You can trust him or at least listen and hear him out. But if he has the look of a helicopter pilot murderer, you stab that fucker in the eye with a stick. <laughs> or a sword. <laughs> well, she stabbed the governor in the eye with a stick. Isn't it a stick? It was a shard of glass. Oh, okay. Right. Stick works. It works too. All right, next we have uh, Rob in Toronto, and there's a note here that Chris wrote to me. Uh, Rob sent a longer email explaining his thoughts on Michonne, but included a summary at the end. Let me summarize that in that run-on sentence. Okay, Woodbury, a small army of guys disarm, disarm and hold Andrea and Michonne as prisoners. Alexandria, a small guy with a clean shirt, says, hey, you guys don't seem to be assholes. Come audition for us. So different approach, right? Different approach, yeah. Same point there, just different approach. Um, I have a clean shirt, trust me. You can trust anyone with a clean shirt in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Okay, Steve on the internet writes, Honestly, Rick and Michonne need to hook up. They seem so alike, seem to understand each other on a deeper level than anyone else. I could see it. Rick respects her. Michonne respects Rick. She challenges him. And you could sense he truly listens to what she has to say. I think they deeply care about each other. Maybe at the end of the series, they marry and settle down. Carl loves her. Judith will too. Well, there you go. Isn't that nice? They're going to start a little family there. Yep. How long has it been since uh, Laurie died? Like in, in, uh, in World? Well, that was at the prison. So that would have been season two. 
right at the beginning. Uh, wait a minute. Season two or three? Three. Two was the farm. Mm, no, the first half of two was the farm. The second... Oh, crap. No, the farm was all of season two because the first half was uh, getting... Uh, What's-her-name came out of the barn. You're right. And the second half was the, bar, the barn burned down. Right. They, they found all the zombies and then they buggered off. And right at the end, that's when they showed the picture of the prison and uh, a darkened Michonne came out of the woods, even though it wasn't actually... Uh, Michonne at the time, but it was just a, a visage of Michonne. You're right. So season three was uh, the prison, and right at the beginning is when Laurie uh, got eaten by a zombie, apparently. So first half of season three. So, but how long has that been? Has it been a year? Um, Yes, I think so. I think, well, between season two and three, they were walking around for the summer. So that was at right. least like, let's say that was six months. All right, so you've had you've had two girls. How old is that baby? That baby is not that old. That baby's it's not a year old. Not a year old. No, eight six months, maybe more. No, more than six months. I mean, it could be a year old, but it doesn't look to me quite like a year old baby yet. I mean, that baby's not crawling even that we've seen, right? So not the baby's seen. baby's probably not a year old, but maybe getting close. All right. Well, that's how long it's been, because. You know, as soon as the baby was born, that's when Lori got eaten by the zombie, apparently. Yeah, so they spent another, most of that year at the prison, then got run out and went to Terminus. Now they've been on the road for um, three weeks. So, yeah, so it hasn't been that much time. Most of the time was spent at the prison. So the baby maybe is a year, maybe it's been a year since Lori died. Okay, so the reason I say that is, you know, uh, what's the appropriate grieving time uh, when your wife gets eaten by a zombie, apparently? Uh, before you can hook up with uh, somebody else? That's a tough question. Um, 18 months, I think, seems appropriate. 18 months? In the zombie apocalypse, that's like, uh, you know, that's like 23 months in, in the real world. Yeah, okay, let's go with 18 months then. So they have another roughly six months to go before they can become a couple. Right, because the first month feels like a, a month and a half, and the second month, it feels like, uh, you know, uh, five quarters of a, of a month. And the third month, well, that, that feels five like quarters. seven seven weeks. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, it, it, I, yeah, I think it uh, 18 months would equal out to about 23 months, maybe 23 and a half months. Okay, so approaching two years of feel-like time, even though right. it's only one and a half years of actual time. Right. So I think, uh, you know, give it another... Six to eight months, and then uh, and then I think Michonne and Rick can hook up safely without uh, pissing off Carl. Okay, that's really who they have to worry about, right? Is the kids because you don't want to go too early because then it's like, oh, you forgot about mom; she got eaten by a zombie, and you forgot about her after you went crazy there for a little bit. Uh, but you know, after eighteen months, it's like, yeah, she's okay. Don't forget, you know? Carl shot his own mom too. She didn't. She she he shot her, and then she it's got not eaten because he hated her. <laughs> it's not like I hate that bitch. I'm going to shoot her in the face. <laughs> no. That's true. He really didn't want to. The other thing I think is, you sound like you've put a lot of thought into this. 18 months is the appropriate time. Oh, I stole that from the jerk. (laughs) I've known you for six weeks, but really it feels like eight weeks and three days. Because the first day, that felt like a day and a half. The second day, that felt like three days. But the third day, that felt like a day because I didn't see you. Anyway. That's a great movie. It was a very good, it was a great movie. It's a fantastic movie and it's a great scene and I blatantly ripped it off for that. Well, sorry. You shouldn't have said anything. I wouldn't have known. (laughs) Until the next time I watched The Jerk. Man, I love Steve Martin. Big, huge fan. Such a good movie. I'm going to go watch The Jerk right now. Okay. See you later. All right. But first, we have Brian in Texas. I don't know if you caught this episode's ominous musical score, but Bear McCreary did an amazing job. The simple synthesizer tones set the intense nature of the unknown as the group drove to Alexandria with their new road buddy, Aaron. It reminded me of old horror suspense films in the 80s, a la John Carpenter. The score made what was unknown, what was an unknown quantity into a terrifying possibility of another terminus. Yeah, and I should have put this email up by uh, the call that we had at the beginning from um, Charlie, uh, because it's sort of saying the same thing, but I fully 100% agree with um, with this, uh, with Brian's email. And I've been meaning actually to mention the music, because if you've been paying attention, the score 
in the last three episodes has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. It has been so, so good. Every episode, I sit there at the end and go, say to my wife, did you listen to this episode? It was so well done. Bear McCreary is doing some different things. He's he's mixing it up a little, I think, and I think it's really, really working. So kudos to him. Holy carp. Did you hear that? That's right. Holy carp. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bill on the internet regarding the gun that Rick hid. Um when talking about the gun Rick hid near the end of the episode, Jason, that's you, me, mentioned that he thought it was the one taken from Aaron. When Glenn went to look for the vehicles earlier, Rick gave him Aaron's gun. Later, Glenn gave the gun back to Aaron as they were both shooting zombies during the flare scene. That weapon weapon was clearly smaller than the one Rick later hid in the blender. And All right. he's definitely right. And also, if we you recall the um we think Aaron dropped that gun and didn't yes. pick it up. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it's sitting in the middle of the road so, or it's sitting sitting over there someplace. It's sitting in the forest somewhere, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I I didn't know. You know, they uh, he pulled a gun from uh the middle of his back and therefore I assumed that was the gun he put into the middle of his back. Right. I didn't pay attention to the uh the hopscotch gun transfer stuff that was going on in the background. Yeah, Not I the background but under my nose. Right. I didn't really follow that when I originally watched the episode either. However, I did notice that the the gun that um Aaron had looked like some kind of revolver. That's what you call a gun that yeah, revolves, yeah. right? And then the one that Rick put in the blender, not a revolver. Was a semi-auto, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's the only reason I knew. But um, Bill, no, could- it's 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 painfully obvious now when everybody you know puts it this way. Yeah, it's just I saw into the small of the back, out of the small of the back, same gun. <laughs> Must be. <laughs> Nothing else could possibly happen in the meantime. Right. Yeah. Okay. So next we have uh, on on the gun uh, we have Jay in Canberra, Australia. When Rick hid the gun towards the end of the last episode, why wouldn't he tell some of the others what he was doing and maybe let one or two of them see what it was? I understand he didn't want Aaron to know. Leaving a gun hidden is a good move, but it only it's only beneficial if Rick can get back to retrieve it. Yeah, maybe let one or two of them see where it is, where he hid it. Um Yeah, I mean that's a good point. You don't you may not want to like let Aaron know that you're hiding a weapon there. Yeah, but maybe somebody else. I mean, if they do have to flee, or if for whatever reason they're running away from Alexandria, maybe they're all separated. Maybe only some of them get away. You might want Abraham or Michonne or Glenn to know where that gun is hidden, right? Yep. If Rick, you think that'll come up again, or will we just never see it again? Yeah. Well, that that's that's what I'm asking. Is it is it something that's going to come up again? Uh, you know, maybe by the end of this season, maybe in the finale. Or is it something that uh, was just a, a throwaway scene? Like, yeah, that's a good idea. He did that before and it worked out, so that's a good idea. Well, that's kind of why I didn't like it so much, because we've seen it before. And, I mean, I guess it makes sense that it worked the first time, so why wouldn't Rick do it again? But I felt like it was weird to to show him do that again. And, and you just can't—I find it difficult to think that you can set up that even the second time and not pay it off later. You know, well, I I think it just proves the rule that uh, you always always bury a bag of guns in the woods somewhere. Well, I have a bag of guns buried <laughs> in my backyard right now. Yeah, just for emergencies. No, right under the swings, I bet. <laughs> no, no, no. That's where I buried my landmines. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm joking, everybody. I don't have guns or landmines. Where did you bury your cleaning lady? Wow, She's back there somewhere, right? <laughs> That's. Oh my God, man. <laughs> Burying weapons is bad enough. You had to go to murder. <laughs> I didn't say murder. I just said improper disposal of a body. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm sorry if I implied murder. <laughs> All right. John in Cincinnati. Now, John did send in an email, but I'm not actually going to read it. I apologize, John. I'm just going to talk about it. <laughs> what, were you just teasing him? What What's going on here? Well, he heard us talking about maps in the last couple episodes and how... Right. We thought maps would be something that this group should look for. Every car they come across, take a look in the glove box and see if you find a map. And John decided to do a little experiment, which I really, really appreciate. Cool. He said he operates a catering truck in uh, Cincinnati, 
And one day he decided to ask about a hundred of his customers if they have a roadmap in their vehicle. You have a hundred customers in a day? Why not? That just seems like a lot. For a food I, truck, I, a lot of people, you park in a good, good spot. Everyone's got to eat lunch, you know? That's awesome. Park outside a big, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really a expert on the food truck industry, but you park outside like a big construction site, all those guys are going to want to come and get something to eat. Well, that's awesome. I'm, I'm very happy for, for John. Anyways, the point here is that he did this interesting experiment or survey anyways, and I was surprised by the results. Okay. What are they? He said that about 84 people said they did not have a map in their car. Hmm. 84 out of, of out of 100. That's, that's a lot. That's 84%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a few people, he said, said that they owned a map, but they didn't have it in their car. And most of the people, when asked what they use instead, said they've got Google Maps, a TomTom, GPS, or other devices. Whatnots. So... People don't have maps anymore, Jason. I guess not. That's not. I, I have a map in my car. Me too. But I mean, to be fair, it's been the same map in my car since I have owned a car, which has been pretty long at this point. Still, and I've I just, don't think the lakes have moved that far. No, no, no. But it's, I've just never taken it out. But you know, the thing is, if I bought a new car today, I'd probably clean the map out of the old car and put it in the new one because what else am I going to do with it? Right. But that's just crazy. Eighty-four out of a hundred people did not have a map in their car. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. It's shocking. It's shocking to me, really. But I guess that's the world we live in right now. Uh, yeah, I guess it is. But uh, you know, in the zombie apocalypse, the satellites are still going around the planet, like in the zombie apocalypse, right? So GPS works, right? I, I guess so. Yeah, satellites. If you are have a fully yeah, autonomous. satellites are there. Yeah, yeah they're they're not. Uh, you know, if one or two of them fall down every fifty years, whatever. I mean, there's hundreds of them up there. There's uh, probably GPS still works. Probably, in my opinion. Uh, but finding, okay, finding a GPS device, probably not that hard. Getting it powered might be a little bit harder, right? Mm -hmm. You find a smartphone, it's going to have a GPS. The problem is the maps. Like when the, seeing a dot on your GP, on your GPS or your smartphone that that's blinking saying you are here is all well and good. But unless you can download the map using your, your, your data plan, you're not going to know where that here is. You're right. You, you basically require the internet for that. Right. So you have to, I mean, I think there are programs that allow you to pre-download maps so that uh, you don't have to use your data when you're out and about mm -hmm. doing stuff. But, uh, you know, finding a the right phone that has that feature and then getting that phone charged is probably going to be difficult. So lesson here, the lesson here is everybody go right now and download all the maps you think you're going to need just in case the zombie apocalypse starts tomorrow. Or go to your nearest uh, nearest map office and buy a topographical map of your area. Yeah, that would help I have, too. I have one. I know. I know. I, I have enough topographical maps to get all the way to uh, Sault Ste. Marie. <laughs> That's good. That's pretty far, man. Uh, or you have enough topo topographical maps to light a nice little fire when there's no electricity and you need to cook food. Yeah, or burns. or something like that. All right. So, can I read the last email? You can read the last it's, email. I think, it's, I think it's better if I read this one. It comes okay. from Christopher on the internet. And it's unrelated to the episode, but I thought it was an important email nonetheless. Okay. Christopher says, Jason needs to publish an autobiography. Every episode, he has a crazy anecdote about something from his past. He has got to be the most interesting man in Canada. Served in the military. Was in a band. Was a clown for a while, etc. Sometimes I just want to hear what else Jason's done in the past. The really scary thing is some of the shit that I say that doesn't make it onto the air. That's true, actually. <laughs> uh, we sometimes chat before we start uh, recording and sometimes after a little bit. And I've known this guy for a long time, so I've heard many of his stories. And uh, I don't know, maybe we should start like a storytelling pod, story time with Jason podcast. Story time with Jason. They wouldn't be. always be appropriate or safe for oh, work. Oh, God, no. But yeah. some, sometimes they would be, you know? Stories I was in a clown band. Not only was I in a band <laughs> and was a clown, I was in a clown band for crying out loud. <laughs> Did you... Um, oh, and I was in a military band, too. I played in a pipe band, so that kind of crossover right there as well. It's, it's, see what I mean? 
autobiography. <laughs> I was not me, Christopher. It's just a coincidence that this guy has the same name as me. I right. swear it's not me, but uh, yeah, you're you're you know you're an interesting guy. I don't know about that. You don't I always just, record podcasts, but when you do, you're super interesting. Yeah, I think my entire life has been a connected <laughs> series of misadventures. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect, man. That's perfect. That's exactly what you want for um, a, a hilarious and thought-provoking autobiography. Yeah. There was the time I uh, stood on the roof of a car and they got that car, I like literally got that car up to 100 kilometers an hour with me standing on the roof. I'm st- I, that okay. was dumb. That was dumb. I was 19. I was even sober, but that was dumb. How did you not fall off? I don't understand. Slow acceleration, slow deceleration. You were, but you were standing up. Yes, that's correct. Were you like, did you have seatbelts out the windows or something? Uh, I don't recall that. Wow. Yeah, that was dumb. I, don't do that, people. I'm surprised Jason's <laughs> Please, still alive. Don't do that. I'm surprised I, he's still alive after that. Yeah, me too, a little bit. Well, anyways, most interesting man in Canada. That's, I don't know. You got to get a, a business card with that on it. No. Come I on. I had to grow a beard if I'm going to do that. You had a you had a beard last year, remember? Not even yeah, a year ago. Yeah, my wife made me shave it off. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> at least she let you grow it too. There's you know there's two sides to that coin. That's that's true. Well, all right. I think um, yeah, I think maybe story time with Jason podcast is in the works. What do you think? I just set you up, and then you tell a funny story from your past, or not funny, always poignant, funny, important, you know, whatever. Sad, scary. Sad, scary, exactly. And then uh, I just sit and listen, and so do the listeners, and that could be a whole thing, man. I think that would make me uncomfortable. (laughs) All right. Well, think about that. Well, if things come up naturally and uh, are are just natural for, you know, saying talking about an anecdote that's one thing but uh you know thinking of stories to tell they could get a bit weird now nah, you got to be a writer you'd have to basically write down your life as like an autobiography and then tell it in story form yeah all right well i think it's a great idea so um thanks christopher there you go <laughs> That's it for the feedback, for the emails and the calls this week. Thank you to everyone who wrote and called in. If you would like to send in your thoughts or comments or questions or, you know, nagging Jason to write his autobiography, you can do that. You can give us a call at 1-844-483-9662. Or you can send your email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to find us on the social media, you can do that on Twitter at talkingdeadpodcast or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead. There's uh, lots going on there. Oh, and you know what happened today, which we, no. we meant to talk about, but I forgot until this very moment. Big walking dead news today. Oh yeah. You mentioned that earlier to me. The That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't confuse people. The yeah. season five finale has officially been extended to 90 minutes this 90. year. So like is it is this an actual ninety minutes or is this a TV ninety minutes? It's TV ninety minutes, but it's going to so run be like from sixty two minutes or something like that. Something like that. It's going to run from nine p.m. till ten thirty. Right. Uh, you know, uh, hopefully they don't just add half an hour of commercials. A lot of people think that <laughs> right. might be what they're trying to do. This finale episode with extra commercials. Yeah, exactly. No, but this is the first extended episode, if I'm not mistaken, since the pilot. They. Did they? I thought they did something else that was ninety minutes. I don't think it was just the pilot. I thought I thought, but I could be way off on this. Well, I'm I'm not going to go and say I'm a hundred percent positive, but I feel like the pilot was the only other ninety minute episode, and I think we've you know we've we've wondered in the past why they haven't done that with other premieres or finales until now. They're doing it for season five though, so hmm. it's going to be exciting. That's another episode. Directed by Greg Nicotero. He's doing three of the back nine. So soon he's just going to be directing them all, I figure. Cool. Um, anyways, 90 Minutes. That airs on March 29th, 2015, of course. And uh, it's extra bonus supersized Walking Dead that week. So you can probably expect an extra supersized bonus Talking Dead podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> you can expect it. I don't know if it'll happen, but you can expect it. Well, it'll take an extra... 
you know, half an hour to recap that sucker. So that's true. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's exciting. I am, you know, I'm looking forward to that and I'm pretty sure everyone else is too. Uh, but we've got lots of stuff to do before then, including, um, our next podcast, which will be on Monday recapping and holy crapping the episode called remember. And then after that, obviously we got regular scheduled podcasts, but we don't know the episode titles after that. So 13, 14, 15, and 16 are still to be announced. Hmm. I wonder if that means the episode titles are a little bit spoilery. Oh, they could be. But I doubt it because they 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 name these epi- episodes in a very unspoilery nature. Right. Episode 14, Rick Dies. <laughs> <laughs> That would be weird. <laughs> yeah, that would it would be a little spoilery. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um, that would be hilarious, though. All right, uh, that's it, I think. I did the, uh, the contact us, so that's it. We'll be back on Monday, like I said. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.